Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night Jaw, brought to you by the Distraction Pieces Network. Um... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pimp distraction pieces this week because that's what I do every week. Um, you should still absolutely check out everything that is on our little podcast network, uh, overseen by our overlord, the Scroobius of the Pips. Um, instead, I'm gonna give a shout out to Pod Bible, who have a link with us because everyone that's on Pod Bible or works with Pod, Pod Bible has either got a podcast on distraction pieces or has been involved in podcasts on distraction pieces. Um, and they basically shine lights uh, onto really good podcasts that you should all check out. Um, they've done a load recently, and and I actually discover um, a lot of podcasts through them because, as as everyone probably knows now, the podcast scene is pretty oversaturated. There's a podcast for literally everything, um, so it's it's great to have someone trying to shine a light on some podcasts that might have slipped through your net so check out pod bible they're on instagram they're on twitter they think they do a little fanzine as well i, I can never remember the, the the absolute logistics of it but they are absolutely worth a follow on social media and you never know you might discover a little podcast that you've never seen before never seen before It's probably more accurate. You never heard before, isn't it? Because that's what a bloody podcast is, Matt. Great start to this episode. Um, right, so this week's episode is... It's an idea I've been thinking about for a long time, um, but kept putting off because I never felt 100% comfortable in doing it. Um, 
<laughs> purely based on the fact that I was a little bit worried about how it would come across, I guess is the best way to describe it. Because um, shockingly, despite me being a bit of a gobshite, I don't really perceive myself to be very important at all within with any community, let alone the wrestling community. So this week's episode is going to be some advice for people wanting to get started in professional wrestling or people that are in professional wrestling or just general general advice, um, just little tips and tricks to succeed or get the most out of something that you have a, a strong passion for. So... Like I said, I just never wanted to come across as like holier than thou because uh, everything I say is going to be my own experience. It's, it's the things that I've gone through. It's the things that I've learned across the, across the you know the years I've been involved. So none of this is gospel. Don't don't you know take this into the world and be like this is absolutely what I have to do because it's it's not. It's just my opinion and some advice, but. I know that I have a lot more conversations these days with people asking me a few things about, you know, how to get into certain promotions or how to get noticed or any tips on when you're starting out at shows. Um, so I thought I would just do a whole episode on that sort of thing uh, and break it down into a few points. It's probably going to be about six or seven points um, and just have a little talk about some things that, that I have picked up over the years that hopefully is some benefit to people that are listening. Um, I know there's a, a real wide variety of people that listen to the podcast. There's people that are just fans and have absolutely no interest in anything that goes on beyond what they see in the form of entertainment. I know there's new wrestlers. I know there's referees and announcers. And, and I know there's people that are... are somewhat curious um curious bystanders on on the more intricate parts of of how wrestling works so hopefully it appeals for everyone and if it doesn't then then okay <laughs> you know we'll, we'll see what happens um so yeah right okay let's get this 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 show on the road proper rambly intro which is probably not filling anyone with confidence um into listening to my advice about life don't do rambly intros there's your first bit of advice all right D- grab a brew grab a biscuit grab anything you want just sit back relax and welcome to this week's edition of tuesday night jaw Right, so I probably should go on, uh, go out and, and, and kind of explain myself and my journey in wrestling because I often forget that people know me through a, a few different things, whether it's as a ring announcer or a commentator or it's sometimes the one that always catches me off guard as, as a presenter doing things like London Film Comic Con or video game events like Insomnia, etc., etc. So I don't know if everyone knows 100% my backstory it's not like an x-factor backstory don't worry it's pretty upbeat and pretty positive um so basically this is my i think it's my 16th year it might be my 17th year in professional wrestling um i'm 31 years old so i've been in wrestling now more than half of my life which is both amazing and depressing at the same time. Uh, I started training when I was, I literally just turned 15 when I went to my first training session. Um, and then I got on to shows as a wrestler, quote unquote wrestler, um, when I was 16 years old. In the interim between 15 and 16, I'd built rings, I, tr- I was training, I did a couple of ref jobs, um, never did too much, but I did a handful of ref jobs, I sold raffle tickets, I did merch, I worked the door, uh, I was crew, so I, did, I pretty much did everything before I, I wrestled, then between 16 to about 21, maybe 22, I, I wrestled on shows um, quite badly, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was at best average um at worst bad um but i did a few things i wrestled a few different people um and then at 21 years old i decided that i needed a bit of a break from wrestling and a bit of a change in my life in general as you do when you're in your early 20s so i decided to to leave wrestling and take a break and i moved to the other side of the, the country i was living in preston at the time up in, in lancashire and i moved to Reading down south um, for three years, 
And that's when I kind of cut myself off from wrestling a little bit. For the for probably the first year, I, I kept in touch with everything and, and, and kept an eye out on a few things. I, I think I even, even went to a couple of shows um, in and around my area. Then the second year, I really just walk, sort of took a step away from wrestling. Um, and then towards the end of the third year away is when I started to get back into wrestling. I've told that story a million times. Thank you very much, CM Punk, John Cena, and my mates. Um, So then around about 24, 25, I moved back up to Manchester, and that's when my friend Sam Bailey, who's also a professional wrestler, um, suggested that I do some ring announcing because I knew I kind of wanted to be back involved with it. Um, purely based on the fact that my friends were predominantly in wrestling um, but also as well that I, I knew that I couldn't contribute as a professional wrestler anymore because the, the, the scene had progressed so much further than it where it was when I first debuted and again I, you know I, I'm not I'm not being humble or self-deprecating when I say that I was average at best so even coming back from the hiatus I would have been lost in the shuffle um and I, I don't know if my passion was ever purely based on being a professional wrestler so that's kind of why I made the decision to use transferable skills uh, Sam said I'd be a, you know a, sh- a good fit to be an announcer and that's what I did so I became a ring announcer um at Future Shock Wrestling which is a place that I I, I wrestled at as well before taking my hiatus, then uh, I was ring announcing for a few different places. I then transferred onto commentary as well, so I did more commentary. Uh, so I did commentary for Great Bear, Future Shock, and then it all kind of snowballed. Um, and it got to a point where I was about 25, 26, where I just started to be a presenter uh, for stuff outside of wrestling. So I've done a million different things. It's my favorite anecdote in the world. I've literally presented everything. I've even hosted a funeral. That's not a joke. That's a, a humanitarian funeral. I've done it. Um, and, you know, I did loads of little presenting jobs and, and went self-employed and started to build things up from there. And then as the years went by, I got slightly more high profile jobs in wrestling, which led to things like Fight Club Pro, which was a huge launching pad for uh, me as an announcer and then it, that sort of bled into progress using me as a commentator which I, I don't know if it's a story I've ever told but progress only ever used me as a one-off in their first Birmingham show which is the show where Finn Balor turned up and um, Alistair Black slash Tommy N came and did the show and then went off and I think he did a, a match on that takeover in Blackpool uh, the main event was Matt Riddle versus Rampage Brown Um so yeah, I, I was actually brought into progress as, as as a replacement for Glenn at the time, because Glenn couldn't do the progress show, um, and it was just a one off, and then it kind of built from there, uh, and 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 then yeah, it kind of just kept on snowballing from there. I've always, I've always sort of been involved creatively with stuff, whether it's just um, ideas for for names of things or just little ideas in terms of moments in matches or how shows should be put together and stuff like that. So I've always had some creative input because everywhere I've worked has always encouraged creative input, which is something we'll talk about later. Um, and then I probably, I think the most, the, mo- the one where everyone sort of started looking at me serious in terms of creative was... Tetsujin 2 slash Tetsujin 3 which is where um, Gaz and Craig asked me for some creative input which I gave um, and that kind of changed the perception of me as as well as just being pigeonholed into just being an announcer and a commentator which then in turn led to me taking the creative job at Progress as well as the ring announcing job from Jim Smallman so that's kind of my journey, uh, I'll fill in the blanks as we go through the points and stuff. So I, I, this is kind of what I always say to everyone is that try to do as much as possible 
with if you want to be involved in wrestling especially when you're training especially when you're starting out try and do as many roles as possible now i understand the refereeing job is the perfect example of this if you are a trainee and you do ref jobs your main concern is always i don't want to be pigeonholed as just a referee and i've seen it happen a million times because someone just happens to be a natural at refereeing um, and then people constantly want to have a reliable referee so they constantly go to, to them for that but i've also seen people do ref jobs on smaller shows which is something i did um away from maybe a wider audience um so i really do encourage people and trainees uh to try every single job jobs that have come around sort of since i started definitely since i started i still remember having to watch my matches back on vhs uh there you go um is the the import of social media obviously it's a huge uh, presence now so there is now opportunities for social media managers or social media people in the day so that is a a job and a skill that is, is something else for you to learn um which is a really good job to learn because it it gives you a good idea in terms of how to present you, yourself in front of an audience or market yourself or brand yourself to a social media platform so I really encourage everyone to get involved in every aspect of it because you will always have more of an appreciation for everything that happens on a show if you have done a little bit of everything as well as just being a professional wrestler. So, okay, there we go. There's a bit of a rambly sort of um, overview of where i am in the world and what i've done in professional wrestling so i've now written out uh, seven points six solid points one final point uh, being number seven that will give me a bit of a jump off point and i'll go into it a little bit further so my first point on the list is you get out as much as you put in so with every point on this list it needs explaining because just as a blanket term, it can be misconstrued and especially in professional wrestling. So what I mean about you get out as much as you put in isn't just being at every show, doing everything you can. It's also about fulfillment. And I think that's something that gets lost. So a lot of young wrestlers, especially nowadays, will travel up and down the country to go to as many shows as possible whether that's just to watch or for the most part it's usually to be part of the ring crew it's something that we do in progress all our ring crew are from training schools from the area so when we're in camden it's usually hustle or knuckle locks when we were in wales the other day in cardiff it was dragon pro uh when we're in manchester it's future shock and fighting spirit and then everywhere else we sort of pick and choose birmingham of course fight club pro and other midlands based places so it's, it's a common thing that that wrestling companies do um it's also there's, there's a few different advantages of doing that it's a great way for those young wrestlers whether they are actual active wrestlers on shows or trainees to introduce themselves to people in higher up positions or the talent it's builds up familiarity and positive relationships it, you know if people want to be negative about it people can spin it and just be like it's ass kissing i don't see it as that you have to understand the world that we are in now. It's I hate the term networking because it is proper ya 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 yuppie ya ya gap ya ya kind of terminology. But that's the way to look at it. You're building positive relationships. I've had it a million times where I've met someone on crew, and then a year or two later. I have seen them on a show and because I have that positive connection with them because either they were helpful or professional or pleasant or all of the above, I instantly sort of regarded them in a positive light as well as their in-ring work. So ring crew is something that is a really good way of building up those early relationships in your career. Now, with that said... It's easier for a lot of younger wrestlers to do this and put in more because they have, you know, a lot of, a lot of young wrestlers you know, between the ages of like 15, 16 to 20, 21, they're either, they've either got part-time jobs or they're studying to be, you know, they're either in college or university or school. So they have a lot more free time. So that's why you probably see the younger lot around. So I understand that there's people with 
real jobs and real lives and they are in that part of their career where this isn't a full-time job. So I understand that you cannot be at every show and this is where I wanted to explain the phrase you get out as much as you put in. It's about application. If you were there to do a job or you were there for a reason, it doesn't have to be every week, it doesn't have to be every show, but how you act in that moment is really important for people to look at you a certain way. Some of the people that I rely on and um, enjoy working with the most are people that have real lives. They have wives, girlfriends, husbands, boyfriends, whatever, and full-time jobs. And yet, they're not at every show, but the minute I see them, I know there's a reliability that they have. There's a responsibility that they have. And that is a good thing to have because, again, it's that building... It's building trust up, you know, we're building teams here, we're building crews, and you want the best team that you possibly can have. Um, Progress is a really good example for it. We've got Tate, Rob, and Big Jack, who are our ring crew. Um, Now, they've all been wrestlers, or are are all wrestlers still, but they are the best crew that we could possibly get, purely based on the fact that the way they build that ballroom and get the ring up and the staging up and everything and organize the chairs, organize the crew. Um, they conduct the crew during the show. They're on a headset. So if we need John needs to get a message to them, whether that's to the referee in the ring or wrestler in the ring or a crew or me or Glenn on commentary, they are a, an integral part of that show. Um, so they have built up a level of trust with us. And again, it's that thing of Tate is pretty much at every bloody show in the country at the minute which is a great thing for him because he's really trying to you know take a next step and and try and get out there more but i only see jack and rob at progress shows it's i I don't live in the part of the world that they live in but that's literally the only shows i see but they are always there and always ready to help and always ready to apply themselves so it's something to think about how to conduct yourself when you are in a work environment or an environment where you want to be seen as professional something that you know this applies to everywhere in the world you know if i go to a video game convention outside of the ones that i work for and i conduct myself in in a slightly less professional manner you know if i'm if i'm being a disturbance or an annoyance to the show that is running that will affect me because much like professional wrestling it is a small world and word will get back and you know people will hold that stuff against you so if you are going to watch shows by all means enjoy yourself you should really enjoy this because if you don't enjoy it then what's the point right (laughs) but it's always have that little conscious thought in your mind of know where the line is and know how to conduct yourself within that environment and in that moment so again i always say to everyone at the minute get to as many shows as you possibly can whether helping out or watching try and do everything you possibly can if it's putting out chairs if it's if it's working the doors i mean the the, the perfect example of working the doors recently is chris egan at chardon freuder and friends i i went down for the, the the show the other month and watching Egan do the door was one of my favorite things I've ever seen because it's not a gimmick that's what he's really like but he has built up a relationship with the fans through that and then when he comes out last night on Chris Brooks's final show at Schadenfreude he gets a huge pop and a chant and I would argue that uh, 45, 50% of him have seen, uh, have already seen him wrestle, but he has that positive connection. And again, it's not, it's not fake. He's not doing it because he knows he has to do it or he thinks he has to do it. And he's not in character. It's all 100% Chris Egan, but he has already built that relationship up that when he comes out in front of that audience, that audience feels connected with him. Okay. Second point that I've written down here in my very professional notepad is no your worth this one is a big one all right 
I'll tell you a little tale of of a young Matt Richards. So when I first started to get presenting jobs outside of wrestling, I was shocked about how much money (laughs) I was potentially going to make because of the difference in terms of of finances within both industries, Uh, especially the video game industry or anything geek culture. There is a lot of money in there because of the nature of the business, whether it's sponsorship, prize money, whatever it is, there is a lot more. So when I first started taking presenting jobs outside of wrestling, I never, I never looked at myself. I, I always felt that I was stealing a living. I always felt that I was sort of getting away with it a bit, and I was always a bit worried that that I was going to get found out. That's imposter syndrome. Everyone has it. Trust me. I've spoken to some of the the most talented and and phenomenally confident, outwardly confident people that still have that. That is a very real thing. So when I was taking these jobs, I was probably getting paid less than a, than I should have been, which was not an issue, but it was somewhat of a a point because I was self employed and I should have been more aware of trying to make more money because I I should value myself more and then I still remember I did a weekend of gigs I think it was a I think it was a three day or a four day run and I went and did this gig in Shepherd Shepherd Bush's shopping centre for some reason that's the hardest thing for me to say Um, and it was like a technology fair like and it was in the middle of the shopping centre and it was a really I wouldn't say miserable gig. It was a really tough gig. The pay was okay. Um, and I was sort of doing a favor for a presenting friend of mine who needed me to cover, basically. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, I get to work with some tech companies and stuff like that. But it was a slog of a gig. And you're in the middle of a shopping center. And if you've ever been to Shepherd's Bush, it's a big shopping center and you're overexposed. And it was just a really, really, really tough gig. And then I'll never forget that... I did one day and they gave me accommodation and they put me in a easy slash E hotel in central London. And it was essentially a prison cell. I, 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 I basically had a shower and a bed and that was it. I had to pay for internet, which is fine because you have to do some sometimes, but I literally had to pay to have a towel and to pay for a hairdryer. And I just remember I remember at that moment just being like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. And I went and then did a a gig in Manchester, which ended up being an okay gig. But when I got there, it was a new new event. So the organisers relied on me heavily in the sense that I had to create content for their stage slots. Um, Because when I turn up and do content for stages, it's usually I have a content creator. They've written a general idea of what they want and then I kind of put my own spin on it or apply things or sometimes you know for instance I've worked for EA Sports in the in the past where EA Sports will give me 25 slides worth of script um, and we're like can you adhere to this I was kind of like eh, whatever uh, so I did it but yeah it turns out to this event in Manchester and I essentially had to rewrite three stage slots and that is another job in itself other than going out in front of an audience and doing it. And I remember being really down on myself about it. And I remember the organizer of that Manchester event actually said to me when they paid me, you're not getting paid enough. And it was just this light bulb moment in my head where I was like, actually, I'm really not getting paid enough because if it wasn't for me holding this down and creating the content and you know, generally just going out and doing my job, it, it potentially could have been a disaster or it could have fallen apart. And I remember that light bulb moment where I was like, right, I know my worth now. I know, I know how much. And pretty much ever since that moment, I've had a slow increase in pay for presenting work. And in wrestling, I started to view myself in a better light. So this isn't a case of going out and demanding hundreds and hundreds of pounds or thousands of pounds you know for your second match it's 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 not that case but it's that understanding where you are in your journey to where you want to be and also understanding what environment that you're in now there's a lot of debate about taking 
no pay on gigs. And it's one that's in wrestling which is really, really, really heated. And rightfully so, because there is a fine line between ex- uh, having an experience and exposure and having free labour. The best comparison I can make is stand-up comedy in the sense that there's a lot of acts... You know, again, like, this is from from an observational point of view, but a lot of comedy shows that I've been to will have the formula of you have a strong opening act, which is a paid act. You have two acts in the middle that are... They get, like, a five-minute slot, which is them just perfecting their routine, which they don't get paid for, and then you obviously have your headline act. So there's two slots on a show that aren't paid for, but it's a learning experience for these comedians that are just starting out. The thing is that just like wrestling, it gets to a point where you have to look at it and go, okay, I now have worth to your show. I add value to your show. And this this is the integral part of this conversation. If you've done more than three, four, five shows for someone for free, then I'm going to tell you right now, they're taking the piss out of you. And I will just say it. Um, you need to have the ability to negotiate terms for yourselves with companies. I've taken free work, whether in wrestling, I've definitely taken work in presenting that I haven't been paid for. I mean, the biggest example I could probably give to with the presenting job is that I went to Philadelphia and I wasn't paid for the gig. It was actually a tryout for another company who had a stage at this American convention. And I I got my flights, accommodation, and most of my um, food paid for, but I wasn't paid for the gig. Now, I did it because it was an experience and I got to work in America. But what also happened was I wasn't out of pocket for money. And also it led to almost three years worth of work with the other company, which was paid and I was paid pretty well. So there was a trade off there. And I think this is the same that needs to be in wrestling is you are going to have shows where people are going to go, oh, do you mind coming on and doing it for free? And it is up to you to say yes or no. If you say yes, you're not a bad person. If you say no, you're not a bad person. It's up to you and it's an individual situation. But the thing is, the more and more, quote unquote, exposure that you get, the more and more value and worth that you have. If you become a consistent contributor to a product and a show, therefore you have more value. You're a returning commodity. Let's look at it this way. You know, if, if you've come on and done a show for free and you've shown that you're reliable and you're professional and done a good job and you keep coming back on doing that and you're doing that for free, that's free labor because you are an asset to the show. The person running the show will look at you and go, well, you're a reliable slot. So therefore you're not valuing yourself. You're not knowing your own worth. So you really need to analyze where you are. Now, this might shock people, but independent wrestling isn't the best paid thing in the world. I know, shocker, but the thing is, you still should not be out of pocket or you should be making a an, an asserted effort of progression in terms of pay where you are not struggling or not suffering for it. You're getting some form of reward for your contribution. Again, I know I know there's 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 places that do not pay non-wrestlers which is something that I am massively not for because I think some of the most valuable members of your team are non-wrestlers I know that if I was a professional wrestler and I was in there with a referee that was not paid and was completely under experience then I would not feel safe so therefore a reliable referee is a valuable part of your show and you should be paying them an announcer is a valuable part of your show they are leading your show and holding your show together therefore they should be getting paid it's as simple as that. Now, commentators and announcers in terms of, of of a contribution of, say, for instance, an on-demand system or you are having, you are releasing your content and your footage in some way that there is a profit or you are turning money, then you should be paid for that because guess what? They are profiting off your labor. There you go. This is the thing. It's like 
it's a give and take. I'm not talking about, you know, writing checks for thousands of pounds for everyone on your show, but there needs to be a fair and balanced work environment. And if you are a a talent or a, a non-wrestler that is contributing to the professionalism or the betterment of the show, you need to be able to make sure that you get some value and reward for your contributions to it. That was a ranty one, that one, wasn't it? Um, Hopefully that made sense. Uh, (laughs) It might tie into my next point, uh, because if it was one of these things, then I should probably own it. Uh, My next point, third point of this, is own your misses, not just your hits. Um, Okay. It does sound like it's a Fallout Boy lyric. I'm going to level with you there. Um... But there is some value to this. Okay, so misses in terms of performance. If you are a performer in any creative or entertainment endeavor, you are going to have bad gigs. I'm sorry to tell you, it's going to happen. I still have bad gigs. Everyone still has bad gigs. I'm sure the Rolling Stones still have bad gigs. It's just a nature of entertainment. The thing with wrestling that is different from other entertainment industries is that you could make more mistakes further further into the past. So that if you had started in the tail end of the 80s or 90s or even the early 2000s, the exposure that especially British wrestling was getting at the time was far, far, far lower than it is now. So you could go and do a show, say, for instance, in the middle of Northwich or Peterborough or Lincoln and have a rotten match, have a stinker, have, you know, have a match that that you would probably never want anyone to see. But it didn't matter because either the footage wasn't being released or most importantly, social media did not exist. We are in a social media era. It is, you can't fight it. It's just the reality of it. So it's harder for younger talent to make mistakes now because of fear, the fear of it always being hung above their head. Because everyone's filming, everyone's tweeting, everyone is is looking at this footage and it is the nature of humanity that we we love mistakes and we find them amusing you you know blame you've been framed i get it it's it's the nature of the business but that should not prevent young talent from being afraid of making mistakes because your mistakes make you better they make you stronger i got better at my job because i had terrible gigs I have had some of the worst gigs in the world ever in front of some of the most respected, highly respected and professional people and I wanted the ground to eat me up. Um, first time I ever did Insomnia Gaming Festival, I had no idea what it was. I had no idea of, this, of the size of the event. My first slot on my own was a Rocket League slot with YouTubers and I didn't know what Rocket League was at the time because it was a small independent game and I just knew that it was basically football and cars And we had a 10 to 15 minute delay of the game being booted up. So then I had to speak to a bunch of YouTubers that I didn't know at the time about a game that I had no idea about. And I named one of the YouTubers wrong and I wanted the ground to eat me up. But the thing is, it made me then prepare for my job more. And I was like, well, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And that's the way that everyone else needs to to look at it. It's, It's imperative that you... There's an American term, and I hate it because it's an Americanism, but it's also got a really good, like, uh, it's a good bit of psychology behind it, which is get your reps in. Get as many reps in as you possibly can because it will make you better. Practice makes perfect. There you go. There's a British swing on that. Um, you have to... You have to go out there in front of an audience to perform and do these things to see what works and what doesn't work or practice and perfect the thing that you want to do so you have to go and take risks you have to make mistakes as much as it is a terrifying prospect for people to do it's still a terrifying prospect for people that are you know professionally paid to do professional wrestling now 
you know, we, we have it with TV tapings, you know, NXT, you know, if you have a bad match at NXT, either it gets cut or you have to go redo it, which is not a great thing for you guys to do because you know that live audience has tweeted out footage or they've tweeted out that you've had to do a retape and there is a level of embarrassment there. But I promise you that you will not be a better performer until you make mistakes to the point where I kind of want people to have a bad match. I, I, I kind of have this this thought process of... I like to see people three times. I like to see them have a good match. I like to see them have a bad match. And then I like to see them the third time to see the real person. And also, you can tell a lot from people when they have a bad match. That body language, that attitude, how they say face is so important to that person's personality and professionalism. Because, again, you you're out there in front of a live audience and and it's going bad and the last thing you want to do is kind of like acknowledge that it's going bad because the minute that happens then the minute the crowd just look at you as well you're not very good at your job and it's a, it's a horrible situation and I know I'm sitting here going I want all of you people to go and do that <laughs> but it's it's there is value in in making mistakes and and own your mistakes it's uh, there's matches that I watch back now and it makes my skin crawl because I was so bad and so stupid. And I know there's a lot of guys where, who are professional wrestlers that feel the same way. I mean, this is a story I, I've told a million times, but genuinely the first time I ever watched Zach Gibson wrestle, I thought he was the worst wrestler that I'd ever seen. It was an atrocious match and it took me almost two or three years to be like, is he any good? And then we ended up teaming together in Future Shock. And I was like, oh, this guy's actually really good. And lo and behold, look where he is now. So it's the same with James Drake. We, You know, James Drake started in wrestling when he was like 13, 14. And he made a lot of mistakes in his early years. And, you know, if if everyone sort of went, oh, that's it. Or if he didn't sort of go, all right, I've made a mistake here. And then try to improve. Then he would have never got anywhere. So... You have to take risks. Everyone wants you to take risks and you're going to have bad gigs. And I can tell you now, there's nothing worse than having a bad gig and getting paid for it because it tears away at your heart. But go out there and try stuff. And then when you do make a mistake, look at that mistake. Go, why did I make make that mistake? You know, how can I make, how can I prevent that from ever happening again? How can I improve on this? And really look at yourself and analyze yourself critically, fairly, it has to be said fairly, but critically. You know, it's the compliment sandwich. Find something that you've done good, find something that you've done bad, and then find something you've done good again. But be fair and critical of the things that you are doing on shows and even outside of shows as well. Okay, your next point. Learn from the people that came before you. And I've put in, in brackets... The good and the bad. Okay, this is an interest. This is a really interesting point for me personally because now I'm an old. I'm an old git. I've been around long enough to see what came before me, and now what comes before this generation. They are worlds apart, but this still rings true. Learn from the people that have been doing it longer than you, whether it's their mistakes or the stuff that they are doing well. So when we first came into wrestling, we did not necessarily have a generation before us that we could turn to and look to. So the people I usually include in this conversation are Joey Hayes, um, Danny Hope, Sam Bailey, CJ Banks... Uh, Damon Lee, there's a few, there's a few different people within that generation. On an independent level, we did not have anyone that was before us that was particularly a particularly available source of learning experience. We had Doug Williams, we had Johnny Storm, we had Jody Fleisch, we had to some extent Alex Shane. But they weren't always on the shows that we were on or there to get advice from. So we kind of had to go out and do it ourselves and learn from other people. It was the likes of Leggero and Chris Travis and Spud, the now Drake Maverick, that came in from the outside. And then Martin Kirby later on that helped 
it create a melting pot of ideas where we started carving out our own brand and style. This is probably going to be an episode later on when I talk about British wrestling, but I was already on shows and at least 16, 17 until I saw British rounds, World of Sports Style Wrestling. It was a match between Robbie Brookside and Johnny Kidd. It's the first time I'd ever seen that. And I kind of had heard about it because it was on the wrestling channel and they would show all the, the old World of Sports stuff. But it, was, it wasn't until I saw that match live and I had a chance to speak to both Johnny and, and Robbie to get advice from them that I saw the value and the history of the generation that they were part of and the tail end of it and what became came before them. And it was Brookside that helped me think about wrestling in a different way. That door then opened the door to people like Mikey Whiplash, Dean Allmark, James Mason, all of that all-star crew that were wrestling every day of the week and also had that British flair to them. So it was a real gradual thing for me and my group to discover our history and and what British wrestling was and all that sort of led into the next generation that was after us this is all Northwest based by the way I'd like to point out of Jack Gallagher Zach Gibson James Drake you know uh, Crater and 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 the list goes on so it was that thing of almost a bit DIY for us so that is a good thing and a bad thing it was a bad thing that that we didn't have we we got um, experience and a learning curve later on in our career which would have been beneficial to have earlier but it was also a good thing because it pushed us to do things that were different to to try and creatively find a way how to find our own place now this current generation is fortunate it's not a it's not a back in my day it's sort of common and I hope it doesn't come across as that, but you do have a generation of success stories before you, whether it's the likes of British Strong Style and former Pete Dunne, Tyler Bate, Trent Seven, or a lot of the NXT people uh, uh, in terms of like Travis Banks, Jordan Devlin, or even if it's like Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre Jr. and everyone else, those guys have made mistakes for you and now have invaluable experience that you can learn from. But that's not to say that they hadn't done the bad before you came around. So it's still really important to look and learn from the people before you. So you are going to have a situation where you'll be at a show and there'll be, you know, someone on the show that's like, oh, I've been doing this for 20 years. And you're probably thinking to yourself, well, I've never heard of you. I've never seen you. Now, that person could well be one of the best wrestlers you've never seen or could be one of the worst wrestlers you've ever seen. But be respectful, listen to their advice, take it on board, and then it is down to you to go, okay, is that good advice or if, if that's bad advice? Again, it's this this investment in yourself. You need to have confidence in yourself to decipher the good advice and the bad advice because it will come from good advice will come from the newest people and bad advice will come with the most from the most experienced people and vice versa. It's not mutually exclusive of how long someone's been wrestling. There's people that have been wrestling two or three years and I listen to them speak and I listen to their advice on just wrestling in general and I take it on board because it's good advice. But you have to learn how to decipher what's good advice and bad advice on your own. But always, always, always seek out an opportunity to learn from the people that have been doing it before you because there might be nuances or styles or little things that you never thought about and until that that person has told you and that is something that you will carry on going forward and hopefully to the betterment of your career okay so we kind of have two major points left with the the final one being a little bit more open slash loose for interpretation um so the the penultimate point uh is loyalty is a two way street um this kind of goes on from know your own worth but is it's a tricky subject to talk about loyalty is something that is banded around a lot not just in wrestling but the world in general whatever job you've got though you will have an employer at some point who will question your loyalty because you refuse to do something that they want you to do 
and usually they want to you to do something that you go, uh, I don't feel like I'm getting paid enough or I don't feel that is to the betterment of me. I feel like you're exploiting me for your own betterment. This this used to happen a lot in wrestling. It happens less so now, but it still happens. When you're brought in and you're trained by someone, there's certain people that will say, I I got you to where you are now. You essentially owe me everything and you need to do everything I say. I'm going to tell you right now, that's fucking bullshit and tell them to go and fuck themselves and go and find somewhere else to train or someone else to learn from because that is not how this this is meant to work. This is not how this business works. You, you earn loyalty much like you earn respect. And again, and the reason why I mean it's a two-way street is because it's between the person that is that is either a promoter or a trainer and you as, as the talent. Because the promoter has to has to earn your loyalty as well because if they're a promoter that takes care of you, I've always paid you well, always looked out for you and given you advice or done things that is is to help you, then that earns my loyalty. There's so many promoters that I could name that I am incredibly loyal to. You know, there's people from I've known for 16 years or a really good example recently is the chaos owners in, in the form of Dave, Nick and Rob. I am forever loyal to them because of the way that they have treated me and and that is a job that I've only had for the last two or three years you know and they treated me with such respect and such professionalism and did business the right way that they have earned my loyalty and hopefully they you know it's it's a two-way street for us and that is something that's really important and you should be aware of the red flags when a trainer brings up relo- uh, brings up loyalty because it is it is not their it is not their right to own you as a commodity or own you as a piece of of something that they can hold up and go look I am the best at what I, what I do they should be singing your praises and pushing you and you know getting you out there until the cows come home but they 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 are not they do not have ownership of you. Their their role and their job, whether it's a promoter or a trainer, is to give you a platform because they believe in you as a individual or a talent and believe that you should have that platform. That is how you build loyalty, in my in my my opinion. And you might have a situation in your career where you have been continually working for a promoter and you ask them for a pay rise or you ask that you can go and do another show that's been you know another show that's perceived by you as to being a better opportunity or a better paid uh, a better paid gig um obviously always do that with the most notice you can possibly do because if it if it's literally the day of the show or a week before the show that's pretty bad etiquette please have some awareness of releasing dates or asking if you can do something in terms of if you would uh, agreed to doing a show beforehand but see how that person reacts if that person is like that's understandable no worries or even if they come back to you and go look that is something that we can't do at this time and explain to you why they can't do that at this time it is then down to you to to determine if that's a good thing or a bad thing but look and listen to how that person responds to you if they start going well i've given you all these dates and now you're just turning around and turning your back on me and uh, maybe maybe I could have given you something better. That is not a good attitude to have. And if that you are a young wrestler or a young ref or a young announcer or a young anything in that situation, that is not a a the way that things are meant to be done. And I, I will admit this: it's you know as as someone that is now a booker or someone that's involved in putting shows together, it is incredibly frustrating when talent are unavailable for a show. But at the same time, that's the nature of the business. It is it is our job to prepare for that or alter plans or come up with another solution to that. That is part of our job. It's part of our role. And therefore, you know, we have to have some understanding. But if you've built up a good rapport with someone, then I know that 
that that is a situation where they've felt like they are making the correct decision for themselves. And that is something that you have to accept and you have to go, okay, that's fine. Loyalty is not a a commodity. You can't take loyalty to the bank and pay your checks or pay your bills or pay for your food on the way back from a show in a in a service station. Loyalty is worth less than the pound in Europe at the minute in terms of finances. So be careful with with how you distribute and receive that loyalty. Always always just make sure that it is the correct situation and it is done in the correct manner because you know what true loyalty is when you have it. Okay, final serious point of this show. It is very, very simple. It's free words and it's been used quite a lot on social media, but it's something that I feel so strongly about and it is this. Pay it forward. Okay? I'll say it again. Pay it forward. Now, what I mean by that, if you don't know what that team, uh, that team, that team, that term means... It is do something for someone else that is in your industry that you'd like for them to do to you. Here's an example. Um, Adam Pierce started posting this recently, and he's like, put a picture up of, of people that have paid it forward for you. Um, all right. One of my favorite stories in the world. I was 16 and I just got on shows. And Chris Travis and a, and a wrestler called Scotty Hex and Legaro and Spud had just come to start doing shows that we'd done. Um, and I didn't really have wrestling gear at the time. I had like what we call amateur boots, which are like little short boxing boots and kick pads because, of course, I was super indie. But I didn't really have my own gear. And it was actually Chris Travis that gave me my first set of wrestling tights slash trousers. And I, to this day, have never forgotten that because that little act of kindness really stuck with me and I, I was so appreciative of it and you know I, I, I spoke to to Trav about it and to him it was just well yeah that's what you do and that's what I mean by paying it forward it doesn't have to be a grand gesture but it has to be a gesture of acknowledgement of hey you're my fellow professional I'm going to try and help you succeed or I'm trying to help you you know continue to work within your passion and it was a great story that recently come up about Carl Anderson when he was in New Japan and Shinsuke Nakamura invited him out for a meal and he kind of was like oh I can't really make it and it basically came out that Carl Anderson had no money so Shinsuke made him go to the ATM machine and show him his balance and it was really pitiful and Shinsuke went don't worry, I'll take care of you. And it wasn't just for that night. Shinsuke paid for Carl Anderson's meals for like the next half to a full year while he was in the dojo. And it's just that little moment of kindness that really makes the difference. And it can be anything. It can be, it can be, hey, have you got any advice for, you know, have you got any advice or did you watch my match? Is it okay if you watch my match? Is there anything I can do better? And you giving that person good advice or being the person to ask for it. Again, it's always a two-way street in this. That is paying it forward. I try and watch as much as I possibly can and give advice that I possibly can to anyone that's on the show. Now, I don't feel comfortable commentating. Um, commentating? Wow. I don't feel comfortable commenting on match structure or how to put matches together um, for wrestlers because I, I'm in my my own opinion, very underqualified for that, but I will give advice in terms of things that I liked or moments in terms of my viewpoint from a commentator or creative or even a ring announcer. Everyone's got a valid viewpoint, but that is something that I try to do. Now you have to be you kind of have to you kind of have to work on communicational skills on this and know when the right time to do it. You know if you're, if you're a veteran, you're constantly walking up to people going, hey, I watched your match, this is what you should do. It's going to come across as, as a bit dickish. Now, you can go to someone and say like, hey, I watched your match. Is it okay if I give you some feedback? Most people go, yeah, no worries. Some people might say no. Uh, and you build a rapport there. But that is what is meant by paying it forward. Someone doing something for you, taking just whatever it's, it doesn't have to be a financial but it's just taking that moment of time to try and pass on a little bit of knowledge of theirs and 
trying to help you further your career, which is something that I hope this episode will do and is ultimately the reason that I decided to do this episode. I still don't feel 100% comfortable in positioning myself in a way where I'm giving out advice publicly because I don't want the the perception of me being like, I know I know better than anyone because guess what? I don't. I only know what I know. So hopefully this comes across as paying it forward rather than me dictating to you the laws and ways of professional wrestling. But I will tell you now, in my 16 years, those moments, those little gestures of friendliness and, and niceness are invaluable invaluable and you will never forget those moments so whether you are on the receiving end of that or you're on the giving end of that always remember pay it forward always remember that moment that someone gave you that moment of kindness that helped you try to be the person to give that out and to pay it forward all right final point uh, which I said is 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 technically not the final point. It's a bit of a loose one because it's a pretty obvious thing to say. Enjoy it. It's as simple as that. Whether whether you come to shows and are a fan, whether you watch shows on demand or whatever, if you're a wrestler or someone who's involved in the business or whatever you are, if you are around and taking part in wrestling in any form or way, just please, 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 please remember to enjoy it. And that's not me trying to be like, hey, never be critical or critique or never say when you don't like things. It's not at all because those are all valid things. But ultimately, if you stop enjoying something, then it's probably for the best if you take a step back to some degree, whether that's completely walk away or just to go, okay, I need to try and stop doing this because I've, I've stopped joining it enjoying it and that that's something that performers need to to have in mind as well of i know we all want to get better and we all want to see improvement and we all want to be successful but if that is at the cost of enjoyment then is it worth it i you know personally speaking the reason that i became self-employed was because i had a really good job i i, I worked in opticians i was on my way to becoming a, a fully qualified dispensing optician. Uh, if I had stuck to it, I could have grown from there. I could have become a, a director of a of a um, an optician's a branch, and you know, really worked my way up within that industry. But ultimately, it wasn't my passion. It paid my bills, but it wasn't the thing that I woke up every morning going, "Oh, I get to go and." fit some glasses today or you know I, I never woke up and it never got me out of bed to to the, to be quite honest with you there was a point in my life where it was the polar opposite where it prevented me getting out of bed but the one thing that has always motivated me from a purely like I am so fortunate and so lucky is wrestling and is being a a presenter, it is being creative, it is being a commentator, whatever you know, you want to, whatever job I'm doing that day, it is in being involved in something that I genuinely care about and I'm genuinely passionate about. So, my probably my 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 biggest bit of advice is, in a generation where it's super cool to not give a shit about anything, give a shit because it is so valuable to not just yourself but the people around you, if you care and love the thing that is your passion, or if you're a very fortunate person like myself, that is your job, then you are going to be one of the best at what you do. Okay, there you have it. Uh, it's a bit rambly. I might need to clean it up in future uh, if I ever revisit this idea, but that's just some advice for yourselves. Now, I, you know, I've probably said it a million times and I'm probably, you know, hammering down on this point, but I am not an expert. I don't even perceive myself in being exceptional. In fact, I think I'm thoroughly average and on a good day, I'm probably, you know, a 5.5 out of 10. But the one thing, you know, that I've always had is that I've tried to apply myself 100% and try and work as hard as I possibly can when I'm doing things. And I feel like that's helped me you know, be, 
it's weird to say, but it's 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 helped me be you know successful, you know, to some people's opinion. Because again, it is opinion, whether it's yours or someone else's. So I don't think you should get bogged down on something if if you if you aren't exceptional at something especially if it's wrestling because hard work and passion and perseverance get you as far if not further than being exceptionally talented at something so hopefully some of this advice has just given you a bit of a, a refocus or a bit of extra motivation to try and take another step in your career or if you're taking your first step take your first step or if you're just listening to this as a fan hopefully it's giving you a little bit of insight from my own brain slash opinion and what I think helps be successful within the wrestling industry. All right, well, that's going to be the end of the episode. Um, thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Let me know. Give me some feedback on on this episode. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you guys for feedback, see? Hey, pay it forward. Uh, yeah, let me know if you liked this episode. I know it was a little bit rambly in places and not as slick as it, as it can be, but hopefully there was a few things in there that you've taken worth from and value from. Um, I'm probably going to do... Uh, an episode and then I'm going to be doing another Q&A at the end of the month uh, because that went really well and you guys seem to really enjoy it so I'll put it out probably next week uh, a thread on Twitter for some to take some questions so if you have any questions from this that you want sort of answering but also don't mind it being on 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 the podcast then ask me in that thread. So I'll probably put it up next week, the thread. I'll let you know it's coming. And if you've got any questions, I'll, I'll try my best to answer them um, because I love answering serious questions, but I also love answering stupid questions as well. So I really enjoyed the Q&A episodes and it actually did really well, which it caught me off guard a little bit, if I was being honest with you, but it did really well. So it's something I'm going to revisit. So that's probably in two weeks' time. Next week is going to be a different episode that I've got, again, I've got a lot of ideas at the minute that I'm just trying to pick and choose the right moments to to implement those ideas. As you probably heard last week when I got Jim Smallman on um, in a very thinly veiled uh, football podcast that I just lied and pretended that it was about wrestling. So if you haven't listened to that episode and you like 90s football or you, you, know, you want to hear Jim Smallman say really stupid things and go and check that episode out as well uh check out all the episodes as well that we've done in the past i really recommend brian versus goliath the series that nearly killed me from all the work i had to do for it but really enjoyed doing that as well uh but in the meantime take care of yourselves and we'll see you next week on tuesday night joe imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 